All right, hey, we are going to continue our series. We're on week three of our series called Prepared for Persecution. And basically, we've been talking about the reality that we face times of testing and times of testing reveal our true character. Persecution has been part of the church since Jesus. You know, the cross is a picture of persecution and believers throughout the millennium have faced persecution. And we need to be ready to do that as well. So basically, uh, this series is about how to avoid being the shallow soil from the parable of the sower, how to be able to last and have deep rooted faith so that when you face trouble or persecution, you won't quickly fall away, but you'll be able to persevere through it because we know that difficulties do come. And so we have to be ready. How are we preparing? How do we get ready? Well, through this series, Knowing what the Bible teaches on the subject, believing that you can be ready and follow the teachings of the Bible, and then practicing now, finding ways to do those teachings in the scriptures now. This week, we're going to be talking about living for Christ. It's one thing to die for Christ, to live a a martyr's life, but it's another thing to live just a daily life for Christ. So that's what we're talking about today. So is the cause of Christ worth dying for? I would say absolutely yes. Jesus thought so. He died for his cause to bring redemption to this world. The apostles, the early believers, the early Christians, and then throughout the years, people have been willing to sacrifice their lives for the cause of Christ. Let's just look at a couple of biblical examples. You know, Thomas is sometimes called Doubting Thomas, and I think he gets a bad rap for that because he was a very courageous follower of Jesus. He just wasn't so sure that this incredible miracle of the resurrection had happened. So he was a pragmatic person and a bit of a skeptic, but at the same time, he was very courageous. One time, Jesus said he was going to go back to the area right around Jerusalem when the persecution was extremely high and the disciples were just trying to make sense of why Jesus would go back there. And in John eleven sixteen, we see this. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus or the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So this is Thomas. They call him Doubting Thomas. He said, well, if Jesus is going over to Jerusalem, over to that area, let's go with him. If we die, we die. Let's go. He was very courageous and willing to die with Christ. Then when we look at the book of Revelation and we see what Jesus said to the church in Smyrna, it's very interesting stuff. This is Revelation chapter two. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So here, 
Jesus, talking about a very specific situation, a 10-day persecution, says to the believers there, you know, don't be afraid of what you're going to suffer, but be faithful even to the point of death. Even if they kill you, it's going to be okay because you are going to have everlasting life. So clearly, Jesus calls people to be faithful even to the point of death because we know that this life isn't the most important thing. We have everlasting life in the paradise of God. And then six times in the Gospels, you know, if something is in the Bible once, that's good enough for me. If something's in there more than once, we know there's an emphasis. And when we see a particular teaching in the Gospels recorded as Jesus teaching it six different times, every Gospel and in two of them twice, Jesus says something along these lines, Matthew 16, 24 through 27 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So here we see uh, an incredible teaching of Jesus. And again, this is in there over and over that we are to give up our lives for Christ in order to receive our life. So Jesus clearly teaches that we give up our lives. But what does that mean? What does say verse 25 for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What does that mean? Well, for a very few, it will mean a martyr's death. But for the vast majority of followers of Jesus, the vast majority of people who are Christians, who are believers in the living God, it will mean that they are expected to live their daily life for Christ. It won't mean dying a martyr's death. It will mean the living, normal, everyday Christianity, day by day, living your life for Christ. That's what that is going to mean. It is exactly what we symbolize through water baptism. You know, in water baptism, we're crucified with Christ. Let me read that from Romans chapter 6. We are crucified with Christ. We're baptized into his death, but we're not baptized into his death so that we die. We're baptized into his death so that we can live a new life. So let's read a few passages from Romans chapter 6, 6, 3 through 5, and then we'll also read 11 through 13. So 3 through 5. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we see here, we are united with him in his death. We die to the things of this world, but then we live to God. And that is made uh, clear again in in verses 11 through 13. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any parts of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourselves to him as instruments 
of righteousness. So we are dead to sin, dead to the things of this world, but alive to God, alive to Christ. We live each day for Christ. We serve the Lord. We walk in the ways of God. And I am convinced that this can be more challenging for some people than dying a martyr's death. I think that there are people who, if someone came up to them and put a gun to their their head and said, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? They would say, yes. And if they said, all right, renounce your Lord and Savior, they would say, absolutely not. And if they said, one more chance, because I'm going to kill you, they would say, I'm not doing it. And they would die that martyr's death. But that person may have trouble with daily devotions and with simply walking out the teachings of the scriptures on a daily basis. It may be difficult for that person to live their life for Christ, even though they'd be willing to die for Christ. Now, for some people, it would be just the exact opposite. But let me tell you, there are especially some strong men who would absolutely die for the cause, but they have difficulty living day by day, living a life of prayer, living a life of daily devotion, living a life of forgiveness and loving their neighbor and loving their enemies and doing the teachings of Christ. They have difficulty living their life moment by moment for the Lord. So let's look at Peter. He's going to be our example of being willing to die for Christ, but not knowing how to live for Christ. Very, very interesting situation we have because the apostle Peter is remembered for many things, but one of those things is for the three denials of Jesus that he gave while Christ was being crucified. At that time, on that day, that evening, all the things that were going on Peter, in Jesus' time of most desperate need, denies that he even knew him. And Jesus foretold it. He told Peter, and Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And yet he did. So this is something that the apostle Peter is remembered for. And people, just like they misunderstand who Thomas is, people can misunderstand Peter. Because if you see Peter as a sniveling coward because he denied the Lord three times on that day, then you are completely misunderstanding who Peter is. That's not true at all. He was never a sniveling coward. So what happened? How did that occur? Well, let's go to Matthew 26 and we'll get just a piece of the picture of what was going on there. But we're going to read 15, 16 verses in Matthew 26 and get a feel for the moment and what happened with Peter. So let's start in verse 40. Then he, that is Jesus, returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. 
Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going on to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me, but this has taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So from other Bible passages, we see that this companion who struck the servant of the high priest with a sword cutting off his ear was Peter. The high priest servant was Malchus. Peter cut off his ear. Another thing that we learn from other Bible passages is that the disciples had two swords. They didn't have 10 swords. They didn't have 50 swords. They had two. They said, we got two swords. Jesus said, that's enough. So Peter faced off against a large crowd with swords and clubs. They had two swords. Peter grabs one, sees Jesus. He's like, it's on. And he whacks Malchus. I think he was trying to split his skull. I mean, like, you don't cut off somebody's ear. He didn't come up to him. He's like, excuse me now, just a sec. No, he was trying to split his skull. He was going to war. Peter was ready to die in battle to free Jesus. So he was no sniveling coward. So Peter basically is going to take on this huge crowd by himself because he knows now is the time for Jesus to become the conquering hero. We're going to finally clear out all the bad people and we're going to overcome the Romans and it's getting started. The war has begun. Finally, the kingdom gets to be established and Peter is ready to go. He's not a coward. So what happened in the hours coming that caused Peter to deny Jesus three times? How would that guy deny Jesus three times? Well, Peter's vision of what following Christ meant was off. He didn't understand what was happening. He needed a paradigm shift. The paradigm, the way he understood how everything was supposed to go was just simply wrong. See, Peter thought Jesus was going to be like King David in the Old Testament. No, he's going to slay Goliath. He's going to kill his 10,000s. He's going to be a conquering hero that is going to straighten out Israel on the inside and is going to conquer the Romans and bring Israel back to being a world power. You know, no more occupying force. Now we're going to establish the kingdom of God on earth, meaning a literal government that is run by Jesus. And they were just excited about that. And this is Peter's vision. He was looking for a great leader that conquered a military leader, a political leader, a king. But instead, Jesus told Peter when he started into the battle and he whacks Malchus in the head with his sword, Jesus says, no, don't do that. 
This isn't what we're supposed to do. He heals Malchus's ear and he gives himself up. And then Peter is very confused. He's disoriented. He's unsure what to do because it was all clear in his mind. You know, here come the bad guys. We've got two swords. Jesus told us to get swords and he's awesome. So two is going to be plenty. And he got himself one of them and he's going to go to war. But then Jesus says, no, we're not going to hit people with swords. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. And Peter was confused. He didn't know what to do. So he was just thrown off. And that's why he got to the place where he would deny even knowing Jesus because he was just confused and disoriented. And the plan got shifted and he didn't know how to see everything and everything just started happening so fast. He wasn't ready for it because it was a completely different paradigm, a completely different thing to understand than what he had expected. Peter was looking for a conquering warrior Messiah. Instead, he got a Messiah who was bringing redemption to the world through the cross. Talk about a completely different idea. Conquering warrior Messiah versus the Lamb of God slain for the redemption to pay the price for the sins of the world. Completely different idea. So Peter didn't know how to see the cause of Christ. He saw it as, I've got a sword, I'm going to hit people in the head, and we're going to win. But instead, Jesus gives himself up, submits to the cross, submits to the trial, submits to the scourging, because he knew that that was the way that humanity would be freed from sin and reconciled to God would be redeemed. But since Peter didn't understand it, he wasn't able to live for Christ. He was willing to die for Christ, but he didn't know how to live in a kingdom that's about redemption, is about sacrifice, is about turning the other cheek in this incredibly profound way. He didn't know how to do that because he had the wrong paradigm in his head. And I think today, many believers need a paradigm shift. I don't think we have anybody who was under the impression of the early disciples that Jesus was going to be a conquering warrior who was going to take over and literally become king of Israel. There aren't people who are thinking that, but there are people who need a paradigm shift in order to understand how to live for Christ on a daily basis, how to give their lives to Christ, not in a martyr sense, but in a day-by-day living for Christ sense. So let's look at three examples of believers, you know, categories of believers in today's world that need a paradigm shift. Example number one would be the fire insurance Christians. You know, these are the people who are trying to get into heaven by doing the least possible that they can do. You know, they're, they would love a technicality or a loophole. So, you know, well, if I just pray this prayer, then I can do anything I want, right? I don't actually have to follow Christ, you know? Okay, so we need to believe. What does believe mean? If I just think Jesus is real, but I just completely disobey everything that he says, is that fine? You know, they're trying to find the least they can possibly do and still go to heaven. They don't really care about anybody. They don't even love God. They just don't want to go to hell. And so they want the least they can possibly do in order to go to heaven. And this is, of course, the wrong paradigm. If this is how you see God and the kingdom of God and living as a Christian, you're going to miss it. And you're not going to know how to live for Christ. Another example would be consumer Christians. These are the ones who go shopping for religious services 
in order to get what they like. There are people who, you know, they want this and they want that, but they certainly don't want this and they don't want that. So they're going to go shopping and get the things that they want. They're going to take what they like and they're going to leave what they don't like. That consumer mentality is the wrong paradigm. A third paradigm is the cultural Christian. You know, we are fortunate that the United States is a Christian nation. Maybe it's a post-Christian nation. Some people even say it's a post-post-Christian nation. But we at least have churches and crosses and people grow up in church in America. But just growing up in church doesn't make you a Christian. Cultural Christians basically just assume themselves in because, you know, they grew up in church. They did the things they were supposed to do. They weren't really paying any attention. They don't really understand or believe any of it. But, you know kind of grew up in it, so whatever, it's all good. They kind of assume their way in to Christianity by lineage or upbringing. That's a cultural Christian. So three types of Christians, types of believers that need a paradigm shift. Again, they're the fire insurance Christians, the one who are just trying to get in on a technicality, but do as little as possible and still go to heaven. The people who are shopping for their religious services, taking what they like and leaving what they don't like. And then the cultural Christians who just assume their way in. These are the wrong paradigm. These aren't people who understand that Christ came, there's a Messiah who came to bring redemption to the world and that they have a role to play in that. How can I help people, help you, help me attain greater understanding How can I help people get this paradigm shift so that they can understand how to live daily for Christ? Because again, a lot of people in these three categories that we talked about, you know, they just think, well, you're not going to succeed anyway. It's not going to work out anyway. So we're just going to need to get forgiven for failing. So let's just give up right away. You know, that's what a lot of people think, but we need a paradigm shift so that we can understand how to live for Christ on a daily basis. And to a very large extent, you've got to grab hold of that yourself. I can't do that for you. You need to seek the Lord, be honest with God, and help him give you vision to see how things actually work. But there's a verse that has helped me understand how to live my life for Christ. I don't know that a lot of people see this in this verse, but for me, it was significant. Matthew 10, 8 says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, Freely you have received, freely give. So Jesus is giving instructions to the 12 to go out and do ministry. He's sending them out there to do all these wonderful things. And Jesus says, freely you have received, freely give. To me, this is what living your life for Christ is all about. Freely receive and freely give. Our vision statement here at Good Hope Church is reach up, rise up, and reach out. And it's essentially freely you have received, freely give. First thing we want to connect with God, a real relationship with the living God is available to you. We want to connect with God. We want to receive from God. What do we want to receive? We want to receive forgiveness and redemption. We want to receive belonging in the family of God. We want to receive a new life free from our sins and free from the old identity and the things that hold us back, being able to walk into God's plan for our life. We receive purpose. We receive hope for everlasting life. We receive all of these wonderful things from God, but we don't just receive them so that we can have them, receive them so that we can 
can share them because there are all these other people in the world that need the good things of God as well. So freely you have received, freely give. Wherever you're at, if you need to do some receiving, that's an important part of living for Christ. Receive. Go get some good things from God. Go and pray. Why do you pray? Well, because I'm supposed to. No, you pray because you need a connection with God. You need to hear from God. You need God to intervene in your life. And so you pray because you need to freely receive. So go to God in prayer. These are ways that we receive. And then when you receive, then you freely give. We give because we care about other people and we see the good things of God. We see things like everlasting life. Man, there's two destinies. You know, there's heaven and hell. And I don't want anybody to go to hell. I don't know. If you've gotten over that, then you need to check your heart and you need to realize that God's heart is that none should perish. And Jesus was willing to die on the cross so that people wouldn't be condemned, but they would have life to the full, everlasting life and eternal life. Don't get over the fact that people are going to hell. Have your heart open and mourn for people and believe for God to intervene so that they can be set free. We need to receive these things from God so that we can share these things from God. Freely you have received, freely give. So what does this look like? How do we do this? Well, again, first, got to keep believing that we can receive from God and that then we can give good things from God to this world. Keep receiving from God and then freely give. You know, you see the need out there and you care. You know what Christ has done for you and you know that Christ wants to do it for others because they are worth it for Jesus and because you're with Jesus, they're worth it to you as well. And we keep trusting God. What does that look like? A normal Christian life. It's going to look like doing your devotional and prayer time. You know, your daily devotions, your time seeking the Lord, making sure that you've got time with God. It's going to look like taking your place in the body of Christ, serving the Lord, volunteering in the church, serving the Lord in the intangible ways outside of the church, which sometimes are much more important. You know, we need ushers and that sort of a thing, but God needs people in the marketplace and doing things in other people's lives. Take your place and serve the kingdom of God. It looks like giving you know, tithing and giving in the missions offerings and things like that. It's all about sharing the things of God, receiving the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit of God through this life. That's what giving your life for Christ and then finding it means. It's living this life each day for the kingdom of God because you believe in it, because you care for people who need to receive good things from God and you see that you have a role in it. I hope you're able to get that paradigm shift, to be able to understand that God's kingdom is about you personally receiving the good things that God has for you and then sharing those things with this world. That's what it's all about. One of those things is everlasting life. Hallelujah for that. But if you can't even pray and read your Bible and show up for church and give and you know take your place in the body of Christ, if you can't even do that, why do you think you could sacrifice your life for Christ? You would be ready for persecution. Practice getting ready for persecution by living each day for the Lord. Make today a good day of serving Jesus. Make tomorrow a good day of serving Jesus. Make the next day a good day of serving Jesus. For the vast majority of people, that's not going to mean martyrdom. It's going to mean daily devotions, <laughs> praying for people, taking your place in the kingdom, serving and giving, just regular 
everyday Christianity. And I got one more thing I want to talk about. Sometimes people need one more paradigm shift. Of course, there's gazillions of paradigm shifts. And this is a paradigm shift that that has happened for me, but is still happening for me. There's so many things in the scriptures that we need to have our mind renewed towards. And one thing for me that I'm learning and have learned, so I'm in the process, is that living for Christ is easy. It's fun. It's enjoyable. It's not overwhelming. It's not too hard, but it's easy. And I think too many people believe that serving Jesus, if you were to fully commit to Christ, it would be a life-crushing horror of an experience in this life. And that is a lie from the enemy. Now, I used to believe that, and I was willing to do that. Like, all right, life-crushing horror, come on. I'm here to die for Christ. I'm going to suffer whatever I need to suffer. And then I found out I was suffering unnecessarily that it didn't really need to be that way. And I could be even more effective for the kingdom of God if I just relaxed and let God do things. But instead, I was running the race on my own as hard as I could. And I was spending a lot of unnecessary energy. I was doing things that I didn't realize I didn't have to do. So this paradigm shift, very important to me. And if you're someone who is afraid that fully serving God is just going to be too much work, is something that you can't manage, then I want you to read and believe with me, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Here Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Was he lying when he said that? I kind of assumed it was cutesy little phraseology or something, you know, like a nice, that's nice flowery little language. But he actually meant that. He was not lying when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But we have to apprehend it. We have to believe it and grab hold of it because that's an easy one to miss. It's difficult to grow into the place where serving God is easy and light. But you can get there. And I'm in the process of getting there. I've learned many things along those lines and there's more things to learn. But too many people live in a fear that serving Jesus is just too hard. And let me tell you, that is a lie. Well, what's the big point I want to give you on this one? Well, earlier we talked about six times in the scriptures, it talks about losing your life so that you can have your life. You know, we need to give our lives up for Christ, but then we receive our life. And this idea of my yoke is easy and my burden is light, one of the key concepts on it is to take all the other yokes off. If you're walking through this life and you're weary and burdened, you have all these weights on you. You're carrying all of these heavy loads. Let me tell you, you need to evaluate whether or not you should be carrying those loads because most of them you probably need to take off. And when people see Jesus say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, they think to themselves, but I'm already overburdened. How can I add more to this? This is an unrealistic expectation. But there's an assumption in here that I believe is simply take the other yokes off. All those burdens, take them off and just follow Christ. Just carry your cross and follow the Lord. Just do that. Don't carry the yoke of other people's expectations. You don't need to carry that yoke. 
Don't carry the yoke of your guilt and shame. You don't need to carry that yoke. Jesus has paid to take that off of you. Don't carry the yoke of worrying about everything all the time. We are to cast our cares upon the Lord. Don't worry. Now be smart, plan, but worry is a different thing. Don't carry all the wrong yokes. There's anxiety, there's pride, needing to measure up, you know, impressing others. The yoke of trying to be the Messiah or the Holy Spirit for other people. Don't carry that yoke. I saw myself as the one who needed to solve all the problems. Oh, I'm not the Messiah. I needed, okay, I'm Mike. That's it. <laughs> I was carrying too heavy of a burden. I'm just Mike. I'm going to do the things Mike is supposed to do. Carrying that yoke of self-centeredness. If your whole world is about you, you're living in a small world. And it's, it's a messed up world. Set that yoke down. Be part of actual reality. Let's pray. I want to pray that we can live our lives for Christ. If we're prepared to face persecution and hardships and difficulties, we need to be prepared to live a day, a normal day for Jesus, where we have our devotion and prayer time, where we look for opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom of God throughout the day, where we just serve the Lord on a normal day, a normal week, a normal month. We need to be prepared to do that, trusting that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So pray with me. Let's believe God to see this the right way. So Heavenly Father, you are so good. Father, for all of us, I know our picture of you is so inadequate. It's so flawed. But Lord, help us to shift the way that we see, shift the paradigm in our mind. If we're unable to understand what following you day by day and the value of following you day by day is, Lord, help us to shift. Lord, for those who are fire insurance Christians who are just trying to get to heaven and do the least they can, Lord, shift that mentality. Lord, for those who are consumer Christians or cultural Christians, help us to shift our mentality. Lord, for those who think serving you is just too heavy of a burden and it can't really be done and it's going to be life-crushing, shift that mentality. Help us to have a paradigm shift so that we can see what it means to live for you. See the blessings that are involved and how we get to be a blessing. Help us to freely receive so that we can freely give, so that we can live each day for you trusting in and believing for everlasting life. So Lord, I pray your peace upon us. I pray your joy would be our strength. And Father, I pray that we would understand how much you love us so that we can share that love with this world that so desperately needs it. Lord, bless us in this way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.